Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and a warm welcome to you. We are broadcasting live from Barangaroo Studios here in the heart of Sydney's financial district. This is The Call, 10 stocks in detail chosen by you. I'm Nadine Blaney. There's no need to adjust your screen. I realize I'm not David Kosh, but um, listen, he trusts me with it. Joining us remotely uh, in his work from home scenario, Howard Coleman from Team Invest. And let's be honest, Gents, this is not our, uh, my first rodeo with you two, is it? Uh, no, but I'm not sure whether my memory goes far, far back enough to remember when it was the first time. Oh boy, well it would be at least a decade ago. I, think I was so. like 10. Anyways, <laughs> Howard, welcome to the program. How are you doing there in your uh, social distancing scenario? Uh, doing fine, thank you, Nadine. And unfortunately, I wasn't only 10, 10 years ago, but it would, would be a nice thought to think uh, I could subtract two for each year that yeah. passed and I would at least get vaguely <laughs> yeah. closer. All right, let's get cracking, shall we, guys? Because we've got, as I said, 10 stocks, some great names coming up from our audience members. But um, it's my understanding we always start with a stock of the day. We've got EML Payments is uh, the stock of the day today. So EML was out with an update just yesterday, actually. It saw a surge in revenue up about 25% in the past nine months to March. Um, Earnings up 25%, revenue jumping 20%. And uh, we were speaking with the CFO right here on AusBiz today. He's expecting that uh, once we start to see shopping malls reopen, things will begin to look even better for the company going forward. That, um, you know, October to Christmas period really being key for the stock. So, um, Rudy, EML payments, what do you know about it and do you like it? Um, Yes, it's a very interesting uh, company, I believe. Um, I mean, if we go back six or seven years in, in time, uh, the, the complaint amongst Australian investors was always, if you want to have these exciting companies of the future, you would have to go to Wall Street. Um, over that time, we now have a whole, a few dozen of stocks today that very much represent the future as well on the Australian Stock Exchange. So the Stock Exchange has really done a great job in, in getting a lot of those uh, young technology companies. The NASDAQ here. of the Asia Pacific is exactly, what it needs to be. Exactly. Um, I think EML stands out in that particular sector. It's one of the standouts. Uh, potentially a very large uh, path to growth. The, the buy now, pay later sector is also quite new. So potentially the growth can be enormous. Mm-hmm. It's, it's there for them to grab. Okay, I'm giving that a tick from Rudy, Howard Coleman, Team Invest. What are your metrics telling you about EML and you know growth prospects going forward? Yes, uh, like Rudy, I think this is likely to be one of the uh, new technology type companies that does make it, um, whereas many of them probably won't ever give a decent return to shareholders. Um, There are a couple of things that we really like about it. One is that it's got an enormous amount of money in what we would call float, much like an insurance company. It generally tends to receive money before it pays it on. 
Now, it could be only a, a very short period of time that it holds it, unlike an insurance company, which could be a long period of time. But it does mean that the company is always enormously cash positive. It's always sitting on a lot of cash, which is a wonderful position to be in today. Um, the one thing, though, that that means is its return on equity looks low on our metrics. So it doesn't pass our filters in Team Invest. The other thing Team Invest members probably wouldn't be that comfortable with is we look at companies that have quite a long history. We want it to have at least five or six years of proven history so that we know how they cope with all uh, stages of growth in the market. But don't so you, Howard, ever Nadine, worry but, uh, that you're going to miss out on some of these really neat growth stories, future growth stories, if you just hang on and wait till you've got those, you know, five-year histories? You know, considering it is a growth company, considering yes. it is in the tech is in the tech space. Yes, um, but the trouble is, um, when you invest in them early, you tend to have you know twenty or thirty losses for every one that you afterwards regret missing out on. So yes, you do miss out on the occasional one, and and that's part of the, the way we look at it. We look at it from the point of view of wanting to be virtually certain that our portfolio will generate fifteen to twenty percent returns. Uh, over the long haul, uh, per annum, over the long haul. And if you're going to be buying to companies like this in the early stage, you'll get the occasional great winner, but you'll also get a lot of losers. And it's highly unlikely you're going to get a 15 to 20% return. Okay, let's get on to the first uh, company that a viewer has emailed in about. This one's coming from Mike Warner. Hey, Mike, thanks for emailing in. Nine Entertainment Company, Rudy. Media is not an easy business at the best of times. No, and I think I'm going to use this expression a couple of times uh, today. It's the, it's the best looking house in a downtrodden street. Um, so you have to make a decision um, whether you, you want to be in that sector. But if you want to be in that sector, then nine would be the choice. Because the brokers really seem to like this yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. And, and often for that reason. Um, nine is probably in that sector that the, the one that is making the trans, the transformation, the transition, the best in the best way possible. Um, don't forget they, they they are also the owners or the part owners of Stan, and they're also domain and part owner of domain exactly. Now I'm more in favor of REA Group, much more than than domain, but I do know that a lot of people like nine because they have that. I mean, that stake in the second largest in that sector. So there's a lot to say about Nine. It's, um, I'm still not very much in favor of, of owning traditional media companies, but if you want to have exposure to that sector, Nine is the one to go, I think. Yeah, because Howard, I suppose it's not purely a traditional as we think of the media company in that, to Rudy's point, it has domain, it has Stan as well. You know, this whole work from home COVID lockdown has been pretty positive for those that are in the streaming space, generally speaking. And uh, Nine's done a lot when it comes to cutting costs. Uh, do you see uh, the future as being something you'd be willing to invest in for Nine? Well, I think the most important question you always ask yourself when you get to the point of deciding, do I want to invest in a company? And I, like Rudy, would say it's the best in the space. Um, but you ask yourself, can I be virtually certain that their earnings per share will be materially higher in, say, five years' time. And with Nine Entertainment and many of the parts of its business, I would say you'd be virtually certain that the earnings from those parts of the business will be materially lower. So that may be helped by a couple of others, 
um, the more digital side that could be higher. But I don't think I could put my hand on my heart and I don't think any team invest member would put their hand on their heart and say they believe it would be earnings overall will be materially higher. Their return on equity is low and it's very difficult to get a good return from a company that's got low return on equity. Their earnings have been going backwards. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, all credit to them for being the best in their space. But I'd hate to be trying to run that business today. And, uh, you know, from an investor point of view, they're better places, in, in, in my view, and in team invest members would say, to put your money than, than an industry that's really struggling like they are. And uh, no dividend likely so that, from mine either. Paul Binard, there's also maybe another point to make as well, is that competition for Stan is heating up. Oh, yeah. I mean, so it's, I mean, they have had a good run so far, but now the challenge is on, I think. And that's probably also reflecting the share price. The market's a little bit cautious here. Okay. So that is Nine Entertainment, and it looks like uh, that's a no-go zone for both of the gents on the panel today. Let's get into a completely different space, shall we? Because this one sparks interest. It sparks imagination. We're talking innovation. We're talking um, biotech. Okay. So this is Paradigm Biopharma. The ticker code for this one is P-A-R. Apologies. I don't know who this uh, question came in from. So it's a, it's a biotech, but it's using an existing yeah. product. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it's PPS, which is already an FDA-approved drug, and it's been used in many other sort of way, shapes, and forms, but they're looking to treat inflammation. And we think of inflammation Oster- as everything, yeah, but it's pretty much arthritis. And yes, osteoarthritis, yeah. basically. So, um, that, so that's not uncommon in the biotech space, that you, that you find that a certain medicine can also work for something else, but you still have to go through all the processes and do all the trials and all that and have to actually come up with proof that it actually does. So from that perspective, you could potentially make an argument that there might be less risk, but um, I've seen biotech companies in the past folding uh, with with even better prospects uh, on paper. So it's, I mean, this is still a relatively early stage. Um, it's, it, I know these stocks, they can swing around a lot and they're usually in this stage um, very susceptible to the news flow, which doesn't mean anything longer term, but in the short term, it's all about the news flow and excitement of investors. Uh, I mean, what goes up very fast can come down very fast. Um, I think we have, I mean, the largest company in Australia is now a biotech, it's CSL, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't make those comparisons because CSL is A, a complete different type of biotech, and, and the second thing is, these guys are making profits for 20 years and they have a, a, a track record that is second to none in the share market. This is a very young, immature type of business. Uh, it's anyone's guess where they will be in, in five to, to ten, 10 years from now. Uh, at the moment, it's a trading stock. Right? So you, you basically get on board, if that's your that's, if that's your adrenaline kick for the day, you get on board when, when everyone's excited and you make sure you're not on board for too long. Um, apart from the trading portion, yes. I think you're probably sounding a little bit Howard Coleman when it comes to this company. Um, Howard, what, what, what's she saying? <laughs> which is not an insult at all, by the way. People are still willing to give this company money. Clearly, it completed a $35 million Insto placement, I think, just last month in April, at the beginning of April. Um, do you see any reason to be looking at Paradigm Biopharma as you know, a potential one to just take a little bit of risk on? No, um, you know, biotechs, and, and I'm sure you knew the sort of thing I was going to say. <laughs> um, biotechs, 
there have been long studies done, or big studies, I should say, done on these early stage biotechs, and about one in 40 of them ever lands up with a product. The other 39 out of 40 um, land up, uh, if it was a mining company, we'd say mining their shareholders' wallets. And, um, people, you know, a lot of investors tend to be huge optimists. And as P.T. Barnum, uh, the founder of Circuses, um, said many, many, many years ago, um, when it comes to people's optimism, there's a sucker born every minute. And um, without wanting to offend anybody, um, this is a pure gamble. Now, um, there are a lot of people who are perfectly comfortable doing that. And I mean, uh, punters go down to the casino and gamble there too. But it's not the sort of thing we think of when we think of an investment. You've got to look at it. Uh, Rudy called it a trading stock. I think you, we in Team Invest would even call it a gambling stock, not because it's involved in gambling. If it pulls off its um, development of its product, it'd be very good for the world. But when you invest in this, it's a total and utter gamble. Your odds of success are probably the equivalent of going down to the star casino and putting your money in the roulette um, uh, table on one number. You've got probably about the same chance of success. All right, let's so move on from Paradigm Biopharma then. <laughs> yeah, all right, Howard. Um, I'm going to start with you, Howard, on this one, because a viewer has emailed in specifically asking for your view on this. You will get a look in there, Rudy. But uh, David McGuinness has written in about Smart Group. So the ticker code is SIQ. Share price is down about 25% in the last quarter. So it's in this sort of novated lease space. Um, what is it about the quality, perhaps, of its its customer base that might make this attractive? I don't know. You tell me, Howard. Yes, uh, it's a company, in fact, that I own personally, uh, both in my personal capacity and through my super funds. So it's a company I know very well. Um, it hasn't got a full 10 years' worth of history. So I bought this sort of as soon as it passed our conscious investor filters about uh, two years ago or so. Um, the company's in all sorts of salary packaging, which includes novated leases and it includes all the other forms of salary packaging. And most of the clients are in um, what I would call large government-related unionized workforces. The police, the nurses, the firemen, um, the teachers, and so on. So they've got very large client bases in all of these sort of uh, fields where you, you would imagine we're always going to be having nurses and teachers and firemen and policemen. Uh, in five years' time, there'll probably be slightly more of them as the population increases. So that's the sort of thing that they do. It's been an extremely well-run company. It's got high return on equity, over 20% per annum for the last five years. Its debt levels are quite low, around about 27% debt to equity. And its earnings have been growing quite uh, nicely over the years, not quite as quickly as they were in the early years as the company gets a little bit more mature, but earnings are growing every year. Um, so in answering the question, do I believe earnings will be materially high in five years? Yes, but probably not growing as fast as they have in the last five. And it's on a very, very low PE ratio of about 11 because of this drop in the share price recently. So at one stage, it got up to a share price of about $12, and the P-E ratio was in the clouds. But uh, on, a PE ra on, a, on the share price now of, you know, sort of 520-odd, um, it's actually very attractive. And 
I, not that long ago, added some more to my holdings when it was just under $5. So, uh, uh, yeah, a company I'm very enthusiastic about. So, big tick from me. Okay, that's a positive. So, Rudy, I'm curious, though, because, you know, they've also got some business in add-on insurance sales. They've got a business in, you know, some of those add-on businesses. I mean, aren't those vulnerable uh, think, in this sort of slowdown I th- I th- in this I think, I think market? Exactly. I think the market, the reason why it's, it looks quite cheap is the market is, 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 is trying to assess, because we're still going through a recession. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we will, I mean, we'll probably have a whatever type of recovery we will have. It's, I guess the market is trying to assess here how exactly is that going to impact on, on, on the business and that's why the share price is not really moving from here. I mean, there are two things I can, I can add to how it's uh, expose of the stock. Um, one is that um, those, in, those analysts who cover that sector, almost universal, think Smart Group is, is, the, is the best house in the street there. Mm-hmm. So that's a very big compliment for the guys. The other thing is, is that this is actually quite an acquisitive company as well. Mm-hmm. So they, they constantly look at whenever they have a chance. One of the reasons why some analysts are quite um, positive about them is that they expect also that when, when this whole 2020 plays out, uh, that they will, will be on the lookout as well to, uh, to snap up any opportunities that come along. And that just basically adds to the future growth that they could potentially add to that business. It's not a lot of risk, and that's why obviously why the share price is where it is. But if you trust that um, the quality of the company, the, company, the, comp- com- the quality of the, of the um, clients they have, plus management, which is quite highly regarded, then you would have to assume that if you give it some time, the share price will be a lot higher. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and not, it doesn't look like it would be at risk of a capital raising. No, no. They should, they, I, I, Howard probably knows better, but I, I believe these guys have money in the bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why they can snap up opportunities if they, if, if they identify some. Yeah, so Howard, you wouldn't expect to see a capital raising from a company like, uh, like Smart Group. You know, they can often be very dilutive to existing shareholders. Uh, no, not at all. And unless, of course, a very attractive acquisition opportunity came up that was a little bit bigger than the kind of acquisitions they've made in the past. But no, uh, you know, they've got a pretty strong balance sheet. And uh, um, I would think that the size acquisitions they normally look at, they could easily do without any trouble. So that's a check from Howard. I'm not quite clear on what yeah. you're... Yeah? yeah, okay. Give yeah. me enough time. Good building or good building on a pretty uh, good street. I'm, I'm agreeing way too often with, with, uh, with Howard. <laughs> Come on, guys. We need a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, um, little bit of a debate going here. All right. Um, let's move on to our uh, next stock, which is Platinum Asset Management. So the ticker code is PTM. It is Australia's biggest owner of uh, Moderna, which obviously was in the news yesterday yes, yes. as you know, a potential vaccine for COVID. Yeah. Um, so you've got to give them a tick for foresight on that one. I think they've been in for quite some time. They've returned well, about 400% it's, Yeah, no, it's a, it's a big call to, to uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's good behind hindsight. In, in, the, in terms of the biotech we discussed earlier, it's interesting maybe to point out as well, even with Moderna's enthusiasm that crept into the market, Experts are thinking that at this stage, this, the rate of success they have, the odds of success, are not larger than 20%, which basically means there's an 80% chance they will not have a vaccine next year. So that gives you an idea of how the biotech sector works with the risks involved. Um, platinum, um, we can be very, very, very brief on that. This share market, <coughs> in particular in the US, but also in Australia over the past seven, eight years, has not been beneficial to the typical value investor. Platinum is your typical 
value investor in Australia. Their share price is where it is uh, because of it. They're, uh, they're basically still uh, seeing fund outflows, mm -hmm. have seen for, for quite a while, uh, because basically people are losing patience with them because they, they can't keep up with their benchmarks, uh, let alone beating their benchmarks. And at the end of the day, that's why people put money with them, that they at the very least can do better than market indices. And they can't because their style of investing is, is not what the market is looking for at this point in time. I'm actually quite surprised that their share price has recovered as far as it has so far. Um, I can only assume that the market is, 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 is trying to anticipate a successful portfolio rotation into the value mm -hmm. stocks from here. And uh, I'm not willing to go there. I think that they'll, they'll be proven wrong in, in due course. Howard, uh, do you expect to see outflows persisting when it comes to platinum asset management you know, beyond this year into next year? They did see funds under management at the end of April were up 1%, but that was primarily driven by positive market movements, you know, partially offset by those outflows. How do you view platinum? Yes, um, the two things that you need to be good at to make a really, really successful fund management business are one, you have to be the obvious, you have to be pretty good at running the funds. And I think Rudy has pretty much covered that. Um, uh, the only thing I would disagree with, we, get, we can have one little disagreement here, is um, it depends how you define value investing because our members of Team Invest would all call themselves value investors but we wouldn't call ourselves the same sort of investors as Platinum. And we've been doing really very well uh, over the last number of years. So um, putting aside the, the, the naming of whatever it is, the second thing you've got to be very good at if you're a fund manager is marketing your ability to run funds. And Platinum has been incredibly bad at marketing itself uh, as long as I've known uh, about Platinum, you know, more than a decade. Um, whereas, you know, the other companies like Magellan, which have been very good at marketing. So if you're not very good at marketing and you don't attract funds into your funds under management, um, then you're relying entirely on the fact that you happen to be very good at running the money and people will come to you. Now, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you don't do any marketing and you expect people to come to you, the chances of you being successful, no matter what you do, is pretty small. And their earnings per share have hardly moved uh, in 10 years. Now, when you consider inflation, they haven't even kept up inflation. So it's a no from me in an industry where they should, in fact, have done exceptionally well over the last 10 years. So then why don't we talk about Magellan, uh, Howard? Um, you know, yes, very good at marketing themselves, a very charismatic uh, leader in Hamish uh, McDougal, McDonald, McDouglas, that's right. Hamish <laughs> Douglas, excuse me, Magellan, um, ticker code MFG. So, you know, charisma is one thing. Marketing is one thing. Performance is another. Add price to that. And then it's a whole new conversation. So if we look at Magellan, uh, shares have, you know, come well off their highs that we saw back in February. But, um, you know, it's still a stock that it's something you're paying a, a premium for. Um, is it worth the premium? Um, yeah, well, I suppose that's the only question with Magellan because they have been good at running money and they certainly have been outstanding, not just good. They're the absolute champions of marketing in terms of attracting funds under management. 
So if you're an owner of the business and, and your business is outstandingly good at marketing your business, you're going to get very good results over time as a shareholder. The only question possibly is their PE ratio. In other words, are they a bit expensive? And yes, at the moment, relative to their average PE ratio uh, or the movement in their PE ratio over the last years, they are trading uh, up in the top quartile, um, which means they're a bit expensive. But you know, they move around so much, the share price moves up and down as we see on that graph, um, such a lot that you'll have plenty of opportunity if you wanted to buy it, to buy it at a PE ratio that would be quite reasonable I mean, at the moment, uh, it would only need to drop uh, something like $10 and it moves that amount uh, sometimes in a month quite easily. Um, and it's then a reasonably good buy. So uh, great company, many team invest members own it. I personally don't, uh, which I'm a bit sorry about that I always seem to have missed out. But uh, a lot of team invest members own it. They've done very well out of it. Um, they wouldn't be buying it right now. But I'm sure if the share price comes down into the green or the black on our um, filters, um, they'll be looking at it again at the moment. They would be holding what they've got, but probably not adding to it. Yeah, well, uh, don't miss out on this one, Howard. Yeah. Uh, Rudy Magellan, Hamish Douglas, thank you for that, by the way. Double S. Yeah, I know. It was just one of those brain things that went on. Um, <laughs> It's got investments globally, Starbucks. Starbucks is getting back on track, uh, you know, in the U.S. as well, in China, continuing to open those stores, you know. There's a lot more happening. They're, they're working on a, on a specific product for, for retirees in Australia, which, which the market is, for retirees, re yeah. which is really excited about, but yeah. we don't know what, what's, what's it's going to be. And they are, in the, in the background, they're working with a team of former UBS Yes. Uh, hot shots uh, coming to the retail market soon in Australia. Also, a lot more excitement to come there. I actually think that I can I can say this now: the team invest people are cheaters. I mean, they call themselves value investors, oh, yeah. and then you can't own Magellan. Then I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's the opposite of value investing, because that's the irony that you have in the share market. The reason why platinum is doing. Uh, not so well over the over the past decade, let's call it, is because the, the, the share market dynamics simply do not benefit that type of investing. A lot of emerging markets as well. Magellan is the opposite. Magellan, the style of Magellan is to have um, growth companies, mm -hmm. tectonic changes in society, and they they basically uh, Alibaba is one of them. Exactly. So, Tencent, uh, Microsoft, Apple, that type of companies is is very much. I mean, the, the turf of, of, of Magellan, I mean, um, and that's why Hamish is where he is and he's sort of like the local hero at the moment. And I mean, you make hay when the sun shines and it would appear that Magellan is exactly doing that. They've also acquired early funds locally as well. So they now have a okay. local uh, arm to it as well. And I think the reason why it's, it's at a premium is that's one of the reasons. And the other reason is that the market can't help but get excited by What's, what might possibly come from the woodwork still. And we don't know, they're taking their time, but we do know they are working on, on, on multiple projects. So you would be in Magellan? You would buy in now? Um, I wouldn't buy here uh, because you, you, I mean, I'm, I'm usually not, not a fan of buying fund managers in the first place. Yes. I mean, you're doubling up the share market with, with their performance. But uh, if you, again, it's the same expression I've used before. If you want to have a fund manager, then Magellan is the one to own. Well, I'm telling, I'm saying that we've got to do a little sum up of how the gents feel about each of these companies at this time. And I've had a lot of scribbling going on here, checks and then scribbling them out, putting X's. So when it comes to our stock of the day, EML, we've got a big tick from 
Uh, Rudy, although not so much from Howard Coleman at nine, both of our guests here in studio are thinking media is probably not the place you want to be, even if nine is navigating the current situation as best as could be expected. Paradigm, uh, biotechs, uh, both of them use the word either punting or gambling in there somewhere, so that is a no from both Rudy and Howard Coleman at Team Invest. Jump in if I get anything wrong there, Rudy. I know you will. Smart Group, uh, that's that's a big check from both Rudy and from Howard Coleman, a business that is well run and leveraged, I suppose, to um, you know areas of the market that are pretty strong and pretty stable going forward. Platinum, not really interested in fund managers in general, and also uh, Rudy is not a fan of the style of investing that Platinum is engaged in. And then we get to Magellan with its um, superstar, uh, leader, Hamish Douglas, and uh, we've got both of the gentlemen saying, yeah, it's a good business, good in the space that it, it moves in. Um, whether or not you buy now at these levels is a, is, is a no, but, but a good business overall. Okay, this one is ARQ Group, the ticker code is ARQ, but it used to be something else. It used to be Melbourne IT, and this is uh, viewer Max who's written in about this one. So Rudy, ARQ, um, it's it's got a whole bunch of brands sort of under that umbrella, one of which is still named to Melbourne IT. Yeah, um, this is probably the point where I start barking. It's, okay. it's a dog, and um, Max, um, take the money and run as far away as you can. Uh, it, I think it's the usual mistake that, that, that investors make. Uh, they see a, a really like a beaten down share price mm -hmm. and they think the only way is up from here. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of, of rummaging through the, through the rubbish and trying to find that little piece of cigar that's still worth smoking. <laughs> no. uh, it's a dog. Uh, it has been a dog for, uh, for quite a while. It actually, from last year onwards, or maybe the year before, it actually started selling off assets, uh, which basically then puts, a, puts even a bigger question mark about what the future is, because from the moment when you have to start selling assets, you're not going to get rid of your bad assets. You have no. to sell the best one you have. So for me, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm just waiting for, for someone to, uh, to turn off the lights, basically. Wow, harsh, yeah. Um, Howard, it, it says all the right thing on its website. It's in all different range of industries, banking, energy, health, insurance, travel, it's cloud, it's internet, it's data analytics, it's mobile. Um, what has gone so wrong? Well, in the end, management runs businesses, Nadine, and uh, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're in a good sector or a bad sector, if you don't have management who are really good at making profits from the assets that you have, then you won't make profits whether you're in a good business or not. Um, obviously, it's easier if you're in a good business and it's tougher if you're in a bad business. But in the end, management is, is the key. Businesses are run by people. And um, uh, the track record of uh, ARQ or previously Melbourne IT um, uh, I may not have put it quite as badly as Rudy, but I certainly agree with the sentiments, take the money and go away. Um, you know, it's it, as Rudy says, it's selling off assets that had quite a lot of debt, um, and it's now selling off these assets to get rid of the debt, and what will be left, who knows. But uh, it, it reminds me in some ways of a company like Maya, which is always talked about as being, has it got cheap enough that it's now a good time to buy? Well, only if you're happy for it to be cheaper later. Um, so if you like the idea of buying something because it's incredibly cheap, but it may get cheaper later, these companies are great companies to buy.
But, you know, when, when we look at a business, we should be looking for companies that their earnings are growing and they're going to be materially higher in five years' time because then the share price will be higher because the share price is the P-E ratio times the earnings per share. If the earnings per share doesn't go up, nor will the share price and, uh, unless you're extremely lucky with a P-E. So uh, 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 maybe the dog was marginally more harsh than I would have put it, but <laughs> I totally agree. Take your money, go away, find a better place to put it. Over to you, Nadine. Yeah, what a gentleman, Howard. Um, Max, listen, if you don't own it, don't buy it, I think uh, was what we got from that. And if you do, uh, you know, commiserations. Uh, let's get to our next stock, Resimac Group, RMC. This is a, a non-bank lender. Yeah. It's been performing very, very well. Yes, but uh, because of its size and because of the sector, it's, it's absolutely not on my radar. I mean. I think there's two, there's two parts to investing. There's, on one part, yes, there's the opportunity and there's the valuation of stocks. On the other hand, there's the risk factor as well. And people always underestimate the risk factor. Risk comes with size as well. So I'm, if, I think if in Australia, if you want to invest in banking, in finance, I mean, even though they haven't performed recently, but on a risk assessed basis, the, the better buys are the banks, the large banks, the big four, because they have the most of the market power. They will win. They are government uh, supported, and, and etc. etc. They pay out the, the biggest dividends. Once you go down the scale to, to smaller sizes, you you also go up the risk scale. And smaller businesses in that sector, they I mean, if it's not now, at some point they will in, increasingly run into headwinds. So if that sector is being hit, the smaller ones ultimately will be hit harder than the larger ones. So. For that, for that particular reason, I, I wouldn't go down to the very small lenders in the Australian share market, purely out of a risk perspective. I mean, everyone has its moment under the sun. But if you, if you, if you invest for longer term, it's much better to, to also take into consideration the size of companies. Because people always have this idea that if you, if you only make a dollar in revenue, it's so much easier to make it two or three dollars, which is true. But it's also easier to go to 50 cents. And that's what often happens over time with, with those smaller businesses. But I agree with you. I mean, shareholders at times have a jolly good time by owning those smaller companies. But um, I'm, I'm, I, I just watch the risk factor as well. Yeah, well, I, I, you can see how people would be tempting, tempted. Um, you know, results were up 85% on the previous corresponding period. The most recent, you know, they're starting to pay a fully franked interim dividend. Granted, it's small, but it's up 20% on the previous corresponding period. Resimac Group. Uh, Howard, some say that the company, it's a non-bank lender, as Rudy said, could benefit with the banks being distracted, the big banks, I should say, being distracted by all that they're having to contend with when it comes to COVID-19 and uh, you know, the, the impasse that are being put on them by the government when it comes to, to loan forgiveness, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, do you see some of these smaller challengers, as they like to call themselves, uh, you know, a, a good sort of place to invest if you are looking to take on a little bit of risk? Well, I think um, you, you're probably taking on a lot more risk than it appears on the surface. Um, they rely to some extent on the international securitization market. Now, they take a whole lot of mortgages, sell them off through the international securitization market. Now, um, the problem with that is that if the world goes through the, uh, a really severe recession and that turns into a credit crunch because some 
bank somewhere or some financial entity somewhere gets into trouble. And when you consider the number of banks around the world, another Lehman Brothers would not be an impossibility. Somebody is probably that badly run and has done such stupid things that um, it, it, when the music stops, they're going to be in trouble. Then credit markets could easily freeze up. When credit markets freeze up, it's not going to be the Commonwealth Bank that finds it impossible to uh, continue operating its business, but a company like Resimac being almost entirely uh, dependent on international securitization markets will be. So these are the kind of businesses that tend to do okay or well. They haven't done all that well. Their earnings have only been growing at an average of 5% a year over the last six years. But, uh, you know, even if they are growing a bit when times are good, um, you want to know that the business you're invested in will survive when times are bad, which is pretty much what Rudy was saying in a different way around. And uh, I wouldn't be that confident that this business will do well when times are bad. So no, it's not a company that Team Invest members would be comfortable with. And uh, we wouldn't look at this uh, other than to say, oh, interesting, but no, we're not interested. Um, nice segue to our next viewer question, which was about the BetaShares NASDAQ 100 ETF. So is this you know, an easy, beautiful, simple way for Australian investors to get some, some yes. leverage yes. to that story? I think the answer was yes. Um, I mean, um, we do have plenty of exciting stories that in Australia represent the future as much as the NASDAQ does in the US. But I mean, if you're not a stock picker, because that's always the problem, not everyone out there is, is, is as good as picking the stock. And, and it wouldn't be the first time that I've, I've heard stories from people going like, I was on the right theme, I just didn't have the right stock. Well, you know? and especially but when it's the global happens. story, a lot of people yes, are reticent right. to go yes. and start dabbling in international yes. shares. Yes. Uh, Howard, if we look at that chart that we had up just a moment ago with the beta shares, NASDAQ 100 ETF, it's pretty much like that massive sell-off that we had in March never happened. Is this a sound way for Australian investors at this time? I mean, would you be buying into this ETF right now? Um, uh, yes and, and no. I mean, uh, Rudy, I think, put it really well. If you understand businesses really well, so that you can choose which businesses to invest in, then you don't need an ETF. If on the other hand, you don't understand businesses all that well, or it's much harder to learn about U US businesses than Australian, which it is if you live in Australia, um, an easy way to invest in the NASDAQ is through this ETF. But then of course, you wouldn't necessarily want to be putting the money in now. If you look at that graph over a lengthy period, there are times when the NASDAQ has gone down quite a lot um, during the period 2000, uh, 2018 to 19, again uh, recently. So you want to be buying when the NASDAQ is down, not when the NASDAQ is up. So um, if you don't want to have to choose American companies on the NASDAQ to invest in because either you don't understand them or it's too difficult to do from far away, this is a great way in, but do it when you hear that everybody is saying how badly the NASDAQ's been doing and that the NASDAQ's down to the low for the last six months or a year or whatever, um, but it's at a very low point compared to some time uh, several months previous. That's the time to be buying the NASDAQ ETF. Okay, thanks, Howard. Maybe. All right, Rudy, class, class limited. And mm. by the way, that was a question for How uh, Leonard, so I hope you enjoyed that answer. Class CL1, I'll admit, 
I don't know a lot about this, do okay. you? Yes, they do, um, they do software for uh, financial planners, essentially. Um, Pretty small market cap, though, I think. Yes. About 170. It's, it's been a grand promise that hasn't delivered, essentially. And there's a lesson in here for investors as well, is that I mean sometimes the promise is is, is too big for the company, too big for the company to uh, to fulfill, and and the reason for that is is that um, there are other companies in that sector. So the the worst enemy for investors is competition. So the comp competitors are Hub 24s or no what no, are no, the no 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 no. These guys work together with with Hub 24s. Okay. Um, none so of, none, none of none of their competitors is listed. Okay. But they, uh, they do engage in price competition. And that basically has destroyed that, that, that story, basically. Mm -hmm. they're, on the, they're, on, they're on the better hand, they're on the mend, but that, that big growth story that they brought to investors a few years ago, that with a few exceptions here and there, basically hasn't materialized. And um, I personally, um, I actually don't remember whether I at one stage owned shares in them, uh, but I've lost interest, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, um, that sector is way too competitive. Uh, the progress made is, it's also, they, they would also be impacted by all the, 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 the government law changes and, 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 and essentially by um, the financial planning industry that goes through so many changes as well. Yeah. Um, so I've lost interest, basically. And I think it's, it's, it's a small company. It's very volatile. It's very vulnerable. Uh, and for me, there are Again, from a risk perspective, much better alternatives elsewhere available. Um, I don't need to take high risk. Right? Yeah. I okay. <laughs> well, that's a good place to be. Howard, um, class, class limited, CL1, ticker code. Do you have enough yes. information on this company? What do you think? Yes. Um, you know, at first glance, it actually looks quite good because it's got very high return on equity, uh, over 30%. It's not a capital intensive business, so you'd expect it to have high return on equity. So that's not surprising, but at least it means management is doing it well. It's got no debt. Again, it's not capital in intensive. You wouldn't expect it to have any debt, so that's good. Um, but when you look at the earnings per share, um, in 2017, 18, 19, and so far in 20, the earnings per share have been pretty much flat. Now, we said before we're looking for companies that are going to be growing their earnings, and we can be virtually certain they'll grow over the next five years. And the average person probably only wants about 20 or maybe 25 companies in their portfolio. Uh, I'm quite comfortable with something in that range. Most of our team invest members want anything from 15 to 25. Um, and you wouldn't say that class uh, is one of the best 20 companies you can find. So when you look at its earnings per share, you say, while the other metrics look good, this company's not going anywhere. I can easily find 20 much better companies to put my money into on the stock exchange. So although two of the metrics look good, um, I then say, no thanks, not interested. And uh, I'm pretty much sure that Team Invest members would all say the same. Okay. Let's get Nadine. to our final company. And Howard, I'll start with you, Cochlear. I don't think I need to explain what it does. We know it quite well. I will name drop. I was speaking with its CEO, sure. Dick Howitt, last week. He was saying, look, there are a lot of unknowns out there. There are a lot of headwinds at this time, but he's confident uh, you know, that they've raised enough capital uh, to see the company through and to prosper on the other end. But again, you know, this comes down to 
the company dynamics, uh, the fundamentals, but also price. What do you think of Cochlear? Yes, um, uh, obviously outstanding business, one of Australia's terrific success stories. And uh, what it does is pretty noble as well, because, oops, I'm just trying to get uh, it up here to have a look at some of the figures on price. Um, it, what it does is obviously very good for society because they allow people to hear who weren't able to hear before. And if we ask just the simple question of, do we think there'll be more need for hearing implants in five years' time worldwide than there are today, I would say, without a doubt, there will be more as time goes by, unless this recession turns into a Great Depression, which I don't believe it's going to do. So from that point of view, cochlear looks very good. High return on equity, no longer having any debt at all with the capital raising they've just done. Of course, they do have that big legal payment to make in the United States, but they raised more than enough money to cover that. At the moment, not much elective surgery being done around the world, but of course that's all going to come back. And the moment it comes back, there'll be this backlog of um, patients who need a cochlear implant, mm -hmm. so they will have a huge mm -hmm. boost. Uh, I own quite a lot of it already, most team investors do, but for those who don't own any, um, it's certainly at a price now that you would at least consider it to be uh, at quite a decent price to buy in. Uh, over to you, Nadine. It's so, Rudy, uh, is this one of those companies that we will be kicking ourselves, if you don't own it already, for not buying now on this pullback that we've seen since, you know, March? Potentially, yes. Um, I mean, it's quality. It's quality. You pay for quality. Um, the only, there's a few things that may be worth pointing out is that um, previously, before 2020, it was it was increasingly becoming clear that their, their underlying growth in their core markets was slowing down and they were having difficulties with that. But the reason why you would now own Cochlear is because they are, again, they're the strongest in that yes. sector. And the general view is that if they come out of that sector, that their competition will be weakened. And this is what recessions and what downturns do to companies. It separates the weak from the strongest. And Cochlear is the strongest in that sector. So all else being equal, they should benefit coming out of this more than the rest of the sector. Having said so, um, if you really want to pick a rank order in, in Australia, I, mean, I think ranking number one is CSL and number two is ResMed. Uh, but being number three with those two companies in front of yeah. you, that's not a shame. Right? <laughs> all right, all right, good, uh, good summary, summary there. Let's go through those those stocks that we've just been discussing. Those companies, ARQ, that is a a big no. I think that this was the one that might have had some some dogs around it. Uh, Ooh, in the woof. words of, of Rudy, I wasn't going to do it myself, Rudy. But anyways, uh, Resimac is also a no, both from Howard as well as from Rudy. Look, it's in a small lending space, and that. Uh, brings risk with it as we move forward. Beta shares, NASDAQ 100 ETF. Hey, if you're looking for an opportunity and you're not great at picking stocks or have the confidence yourself, it's one to consider. Class Limited, uh, CL1, that's just a not interested. And uh, in Rudy's words, it's a grand promise that hasn't delivered. Can't even remember if he owned it. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. That's the type of impression that that company made on Rudy. And then Cochlear, look, it's a great business from both the gents, Tick, and uh, you know now might not be a bad time uh, when we look back in uh, five, ten years to have bought in. So that is, that's the call for today. Ten stocks plus one in detail. Howard 
Coleman from Team Invest. Great to have the opportunity to chat once again. I can't wait to, to see you down here at our Barangaroo studios when we are allowed. Look forward to it, Nadine, uh, and look forward to being there with you and with Rudy and David and all of the people in the studio. Great. We'll see you then. And uh, Rudy Philbeck van Dijk, thanks for coming in. Good to see you. And we'll Good chat pleasure. perhaps even tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow morning. <laughs> that is the call for now. Stay with us. We have plenty more to come right here on Ausbiz. You can join us for the call every day from 12 to 1 p.m. And if you missed any of those names, you can watch it on Catch Up. You just need to download the app or visit our website, ausbiz.com.au. We're back in just a moment. Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow & Go Facial Set provides spa-level results at home. Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM.